podcast is brought to you by CEW Plus at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Plus Director Tiffany Mara as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan's Center for the Education of Women Plus in our podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. Rich, it's great to get to speak to you today. Rich Holcomb is the Associate Vice President for Human Resources at the University of Michigan, providing overall leadership to the human resources community for the Ann Arbor, Flint, and Dearborn campuses, including Michigan Medicine. Holcomb brings more than 25 years of experience in human resources to the position, most recently serving as Senior Director for Benefits and Health and Wellbeing Services at U of M. He leads by focusing on people and relationships in the workplace, building partnerships, and supporting diverse cultures. He's held several leadership positions in U of M's Human Resources and Michigan Medicine, including serving as the Interim Chief Human Resources Officer for Michigan Medicine. Holcomb earned two degrees from Michigan State University, a bachelor's degree in employment relations, and a master's degree in labor relations. It's my honor to have the privilege of speaking with you today so that we can learn from your approach to leadership, especially over the past five months in response to the pandemic. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career path? Sure. Thank you, Tiffany, for the opportunity to be here today. And hello to all those listening on this podcast. So in in terms of my career path, when I was in college, when I went up to Michigan State, I originally intended to go into medicine. And I quickly realized after I took a gross anatomy class working on cadavers that maybe medicine really wasn't my calling. And I was kind of a bit at a crossroads trying to think about what did I want to do with my career and what, what did I want to study in school? And I've always been, I think, a people person. And so a friend of mine said said something to me over one of the breaks and said, hey, I'm going to go down to Manpower and I'm going to get a job for a break there at Manpower. And I said, well, what is Manpower? And they said, well, it's this agency that kind of matches people up with jobs. So I went down there and I met with a, a gentleman and I talked with him and I became fascinated with the work that he was doing of interviewing people placing them on jobs, and had so much knowledge in, uh, about business and industry, I was really intrigued by it. And from there, it kind of grew my interest in human resources. And I thought, well, this is something that I, I could really enjoy doing. And so I began to study human resources and employment relations at Michigan State and started working actually for Manpower when I was in college. And when I got out of college at Michigan State, I actually then took a promotion working with Manpower to manage a couple of offices in southwest Michigan and had an opportunity to work with a lot of different companies, providing them with temporary staff. I really learned a lot about business and a lot about people. And I just so enjoy interacting with people and helping them achieve their needs of having gainful employment at the same point in time of helping companies when they had staffing issues. And so that's how I really got into human resources in my career. And then from there, I went into working for Eaton Corporation and was an HR manager for them and then did that for a period of time and then got into the healthcare environment. And after a short stint working at Allegiance Hospital in Jackson, or now it's referred to as Henry Ford Health System, I came to U of M, had an opportunity to start in the health system, leading the compensation function, and I and started my career here at U of M, and I've been here for 18 years, doing a variety of HR roles within the university, both within Michigan Medicine and on campus. How long have you been in your current position? 
I was appointed to the associate vice president role August 1st of 2019. And so I've been in this role just coming up almost on a year. And you've had to manage uh, some interesting terrain over this first year in the job, including the announcement of the stay-at-home order and closure of campus. When you first heard about the stay-at-home order and closure, what were your first thoughts and concerns? Well, you know, Tiffany, that's a really good question because I think all of us, the university and just in general, everybody was really kind of reeling and concerned for their own safety and their health and well-being and what was happening with this virus. And I, I think there was a lot of fear and anxiety that everybody had because we saw the number of cases, you know, continually increasing. And so when I began to think about the stay-at-home order for the university, I immediately began to think about, okay, what does that mean for us in the workforce? What do we need to do quickly? I recognize that there's a, there's a population on our campus that needs to be on site to perform their work, facilities, safety, security, patient care activities, a number of individuals, and yet then there's a, a percentage of our workforce that needed to be home immediately. And so when I thought about those that were going to be working from home, I began to think about what are the implications of working from home on a much broader scale with probably 70 to 75 percent of our workforce now being remote in a work from home type of arrangement. And so one of the first things that I, I thought about is what do we need to do with our telecommuting standards that we have in place? Because if you recall, we did, the stay-at-home order was issued on March 13th, and then it was effective March 16th. And at that same time, the public school systems in the state were all closing. So I recognized that with families and parents that now parents were going to be having their kids at home. And under our current telecommuting policy, it didn't permit you to have children home in lieu of daycare while you work remotely. So we relaxed that standard and said, we need to provide that opportunity for people to work at home and have their kids at home. We understand the situation. We had to adapt very quickly to that particular issue. The, the second thing that really struck me was is that for those that are at home, there are some individuals that are in jobs that really don't lend themselves very well towards working from home. They may be in a customer-facing type of service role. And what I was really concerned about is um, how long was this event going to go on? How long was the, you know, I think at the time, I think the stay-at-home order was for a few weeks, if I remember correctly. And I, I began to worry about, well, if individuals are at home and don't have work to do, how do they continue to maintain their pay? And so, you know, we knew that people had banks of time available to them. But at the same point, if this was going to be of extended duration, I was concerned about what people would have available to them to ensure kind of pay continuity to continue receiving a paycheck. So about two weeks in, once we had some pretty good indication that, you know, the stay-at-home order was going to be further extended and that people were going to be working for some period of time in a remote fashion, we created a one-time 80-hour COVID bank for all university employees. And the intent around that was to, to do a couple things. One was to ensure paying continuity for those individuals who maybe were using vacation time or personal time, PTO time in the health system, or maybe they were using sick time, but were maybe running out of time. This would provide another uh, opportunity to have some additional pay time off 
available to them for use, but also recognizing that at the same time, even those that were maybe working from home, who could work from home, maybe they had instances where they were taking care of a sick family member or they themselves were dealing with the, uh, the COVID virus. And so with that in mind, we wanted to ensure that people would be compliant and stay home and quarantine if they needed to. So the 80-hour bank was intended to help those that maybe didn't have enough time and also ensure that people would stay home and follow the orders to, to maintain safety for all. Yeah, no, you know, all of us have been experiencing uh, the transitions and the fear associated with COVID. What types of concerns have you had personally about all that's going on in the world? There's certainly a lot of things. I was very concerned about the impact that it was having on our workforce and our ability to do our jobs, and of course about the safety and health of everybody. It was a, a situation where, you know, again, all of us have never experienced something so dramatic and in such a short time frame. I mean, we went from the first part of March having relatively normal life to now we're in a pandemic that has just turned our world upside down. And so it was really, you know, I think trying to think about how do we maintain our focus on safety and health and well-being and trying to adapt really quickly to a new way of doing work. We all had had some experience, I think, using technology and doing blue jeans or Zoom calls, but certainly not to the extent that we were faced with where everything went virtual essentially overnight. And so I think being able to adapt to, you know, a new work environment was really one of the things that was an important important thing for all of us. And I think we're still continuing to learn and adapt and, and how we work in a, in a new normal, if you will. Along that same time, I think what happened is I kind of feel like, Tiffany, that we lost our boundaries a bit. And what I mean by that, work was so so dynamic and changing. What we knew, you know, at, at the time on any given day about COVID and what its impact was doing to our community and, and our population was changing virtually hour to hour, day to day. And so we were adapting in real time to, okay, what's the latest, what's happening, how do we think about the influx of patients that are coming into the health system, working very closely and talking with the health system? They were focused on, at one point, standing up a field hospital. They, they thought they were going to be overwhelmed with the number of patients. And we were talking about how might we redeploy staff to help support Michigan Medicine in this very key time. But with the, with the work, it was so, so demanding and it was seven days a week, and it's been virtually seven days a week since really almost late February for a lot of leaders. Um, you know, we, we lost the boundary of what is work and when is work done. And so it would, would not be uncommon to be doing a Zoom meeting at 8 o'clock at night on, you know, a Wednesday, 10 o'clock Zoom meeting on Saturday, uh, meetings on Sunday just constantly evolving because things were so dynamic and changing. And so I, I think one of the things for, for, for us as an organization and for me personally, we, we have to get back to a little bit of a, you know, a work-life integration. How do you, how do you integrate your, your, your personal life with your work life? And especially as you're doing these things home, you know, I think the other troubling thing about COVID was the disparate impact that it had on our African-American community. I mean, I think we saw the numbers coming out of 
Michigan, in particular in the metro Detroit area, and, and the, the significant impact that it had the African-American community. And certainly, you know, health disparities is something that is a really important issue. And, you know, one of the, the things that I have had the, you mentioned in the introduction, is I used to be the senior director for our benefits office. So we're real closely looking at our health plans and studying our data and understanding claims data tells us and how do I understand what is happening with our workforce and how do we create tools and resources and guidance for people so that they can get the care that they need to take care of themselves or their families. And so health disparities have been something that our, our medical benefits advisory committee has had many conversations around and trying to address how do we ensure that we're providing good access and care levels for all of our population. But it's a broad issue. It's a broad issue beyond U of M. It's, a, it's, a, it's an issue in the state of Michigan, and it's a national issue that needs to be addressed. It's been interesting to see, you know, on top of the public health disparities, we have increased exposure to racially biased police brutality. All of that combined affects the employees, the staff, the faculty at U of M. And one group that's being kind of called upon with extra burden are female minorities um, because they're having increased caregiver responsibilities at the same time as tenure clocks continuing to run and, you know, research grants expected to be written. You know, as you've thought about um, how you might respond based on the data that you're seeing from benefits analysis, like what types of ideas have emerged about how to support folks who have been disproportionately affected? A really good question. It's really making sure that you understand and you listen. And so when I when I started in in my role, you know, one of the first things that I I thought about is in my first ninety days was really to do a listening tour and to really focus on understanding, listening to groups and learning and understanding what are the issues and what are the challenges, very committed to focusing on culture and how do we create positive organizational culture here at the university and where all feel welcomed and included, supportive of our overall efforts of DEI. And so the part of that, I was meeting with different coalition groups, campus coalition groups, and, and continued to meet with them up until uh, the pandemic started and, you know, and everything kind of is pivoted to, to focus on COVID. And I think looking at the issues and understanding, I was thinking about how do we hire? How do we think differently about our recruitment processes here at the university? And and what we do, we're very decentralized, as, as you know, and each of the schools and colleges and units higher. But what can we do for more from a central perspective to think differently about how we source candidates? How do we build the, the, the pipeline of talent? How do we build partnerships with different organizations to truly in, ensure that we're getting a very diverse pool of candidates for the work that we're doing here at the university? So I think those are some of the things that I really begin to kind of think about. I also think that there are policy implications that we need to think about. You mentioned with faculty or even with staff in terms of the demands of child care, and you think about the issues about how it's impacting them. When you think about research and the rules around tenure, you know, how do, you know, is there an opportunity to think differently about that in the future? I think we need to consider how we encourage and provide the supports for people to effectively manage their work 
at the same time to kind of balance child care responsibilities. You know, and and I think it's it's a very complex issue, and I think it certainly is going to you know require more conversation. And I certainly invite feedback and ideas around that from our community because, you know, one of the things I think Tiffany as a leader, I I, I learned this many years ago. As a leader, I may not have all the answers, but if I listen, I learn, I understand, and I connect and partner with the right groups and the right leaders, collectively, we can identify strategies and solutions to solve some of these very complex problems. And that's what I've always been committed to, is really building relationships and partnerships and listening to others to try to understand. You know, one of the things, you know, that I think about, there's oftentimes leaders are asked, well, what's your leadership style and and how do you lead? And, you know, one of the things that I've really subscribed to is out of the Roth School of Business, I've really embraced the positive organizational scholarship. And and they also have a competing values framework. And when I think about my style, collaboration and relationship building, it's really at the core of how I lead. And I think the literature would describe me as kind of as a hybrid of a, of a transformational and servant leader. And that's really, I think, my role in solving these complex problems is really trying to listen, learn, collaborate to try to identify how do we solve these complex problems. Yeah, I love that approach because there's so much, we all have such unique experiences, but we also have shared experiences. And if we can listen and learn from each other, I think it'll go a long way, especially right now when some groups are having very unique experiences that are particularly harmful right now. I couldn't see a better way to lead the organization at this point than the one you just described. One of the challenges that I faced was feeling alone in the process. And there is no roadmap for when campus closes for the first time ever as a result of a pandemic. You know, having to build that roadmap alone was a bit terrifying. There are still moments I always look back and I think, oh, gosh, I could have done that better. I wish I would have thought of this at the time. But, you know, we've now seen it for we're pushing five months now of being at home. What are some of the best practices or guidance that you'd like to share with supervisors about how to communicate with those they lead? And what general recommendations would you make to people like me who are doing our best, but it sure does feel like we're all building roadmaps independent of each other? Yeah, you hit on something that's so extremely important, Tiffany, in that we have put together a number of different resources to help people. We have moved a lot of different programs and services for mental and emotional well-being to online types of platforms to help people and trying to navigate and provide them with the ability to take care of themselves, which is really important in new platforms online to help people engage and to take care of themselves. The Office of Counseling and Workplace Resilience in Michigan Medicine and the Faculty and Staff Counseling and Consultation Officer, or FASCO, is also moved to providing online tools, telephonic, uh, interaction, telephonic support groups, and different things. And so we've historically have had a lot of support groups or different types of groups for people to feel connected, but now we're learning how to work and do those things in new and different ways. The, the overall DEI committee has created a very nice toolkit that is out on their website that, you know, provides some tips and ideas and suggestions for working in new and different ways and 
and how to navigate and the things, how to take care of yourself and things to think about. And so, you know, we've, we've tried to kind of harness and put together sets of resources and, and frankly, link a lot of those from the university HR page to help people as they, you know, as we walk down this, this uh, road together in trying to think about what are the challenges and what are the issues. I think, you know, one of the things that you hit on earlier is just this balance and the demands of work life and home life and children and professional career and development and all these things. Um, I'm optimistic in that, you know, we will get through this, this time and we will come out as a stronger organization and people, I'm always amazed at the resilience of, of the human spirit and what people are capable of doing. And I've seen evidence of it repeatedly during the pandemic. This morning, we had, we hosted the annual Staff Impact Awards. And it was, it was just a, just such a tremendous experience and just such a good reminder of, of just the, the strength and the character of our workforce. There were so many stories in the Staff Impact Awards about how people are making a difference and how they're working differently to support their teams during this time and having meaningful impact. And some of the, the terms that came to mind today when we were talking was, was of service, it was of gratitude, humility. There were just a lot of characteristics about the workforce that I was just so heartened by in hearing that again. Again, I can't say enough about the human spirit and the workforce of the university, the faculty and staff and the resilience that they have. It's just simply amazing. You've been caring for all of us uh, during this period through policy changes and making sure we could all continue to work from home. You mentioned a few key terms, which are self-care and also loss of boundaries. In the middle of caring for all of us, how have you cared for yourself in setting up boundaries and also thinking about your own well-being? I'll admit, Tiffany, I've, I've struggled with it at times. I struggled mightily, I think, with it in the first couple of months, uh, just again, based on all the demands. Because again, as kind of as a servant leader, I, I always think about others first, and my job is to serve and help others. And so it was extremely difficult just in trying to keep a balance. Um, but, you know, what I've tried to do, you know, more recently is I think it helped a bit when the weather began to change and go outside. So, Taking, you know, little 10 or 15 minute breaks, going outside, maybe just sitting, sitting out there and letting the sun kind of warm your soul and or just taking a brisk, a brisk walk for a few minutes just to kind of recharge, get moving. But I also do, do a lot of reading for pleasure. It's healthy for one's soul to try to get a reprieve from the heaviness of, of, I think, what we all face day in and day out in the work in this world that we live in right now. Yeah, a lot of us are taking a less intellectual approach in binge-watching TV shows or movies over and over again. <laughs> uh, have you found any, any particular outlets, a book that you might recommend to others, or a TV show or anything else? Yeah, boy, that's a good question. I tend to look for comedies and try to find a comedy of some sort. I found an interesting author, though, that I just happened to kind of stumble upon, and his name is Steve Hamilton. He's a, he's a U of M alum, and he writes uh, crime fiction novels. And it's, it's kind of fascinating because his main character 
is a former Detroit police officer who lives in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And so there's a lot of references to landmarks or different things in the state of Michigan. So it's kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting read because you can go, well, I've been there or whatever, and you just feel kind of a part of it. And so he's an interesting writer, and I've I've just recently stumbled upon him as I was looking for some some new books. So I like to read, you know, fiction uh, primarily and adventure novels and those types of things. Yeah, now we're approaching another point of uncertainty where a lot of people are wondering about the reopening of campus. What concerns do you have right now about the reopening of campus? You know, really, the the issue that I'm focused on and thinking about is really about the safety. It all comes back to the safety. And I largely think that many people will continue to be working remotely because one of the things that we're going to need to continue to stay vigilant on is keeping the density on campus as low as possible, not having buildings fully occupied again where we have a lot of individuals interacting. And so how do we keep the density in a reasonable level? So I think about with staff and with faculty, again, working remotely is a piece. What does the hybrid look like then for faculty and staff? And then who who has to be on site on an in-person basis, um, you know, predominantly all the time? And how do we continue to support them? And so, you know, I, I worry a little bit about making sure that, you know, when people do come back to campus, that they're focused on following the proper protocols. And, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate that the governor had to reissue you know, the mask order last week for people to comply. So as long as people follow precautions, I think we can do our part as a U of M community to support ourselves, the safety of, of each of us and the safety of, of, of each other. And so I think, you know, following the protocols will be a really important thing for all of us to do. I largely think that many of, especially the administrative staff across the university, will likely remain a remote working kind of environment. Yeah. Any final thoughts for staff or words of appreciation that you'd like to share? Absolutely. You know, I think, as I said earlier, I am so heartened by the, the fact that I see resilience our workforce every day and the faculty and staff and the stories that I hear and what people are doing, you know, we will get through this time. This is something that I think, you know, we'll all look back upon. And, you know, in the moment, it's difficult to imagine how we get out of this situation. But I think we're going to look at this this point in our our lives. And it's certainly a very important time. And I think we're going to learn so much. I think work forever will be changed in how we think about work. I think this has helped us learn about new ways of working, and I think we have to embrace some of those positives that we've learned about the ability to work remotely and how does it help us. I think what many people wrestle with, including myself at times, is just that connectedness to one another. It's difficult to feel completely connected on a Zoom call or doing some units have done like Zoom social hours or things of that nature to try to stay connected. Uh, but nothing nothing beats kind of the in-person interactions that I think we all as human beings need and want oftentimes. And so I guess I'm the eternal optimist. You've got to find the good in everything. And 
that's what I'm I'm looking for. And I just want to thank all of the faculty and the staff at the university for all that they've done, you know, taking care of themselves, their families. People have been so good about, you know, following protocols. People have largely remained off of campus and following the advice and being very much focused on the public health and the greater good. I, I, again, I just can't say enough about people have done and people are working so hard and everybody seems to be adapting to just the unknown day to day that we're all experiencing. So again, I just am so impressed with the university community and what everybody is doing. I just can't say enough positive about what I've seen here at this great institution. Yeah, I'd agree. It's been an amazing five months watching staff adjust. Rich, I'm very grateful for your thoughtful, concerned leadership and how you've ensured that staff can keep working uh, despite the changing dynamic that's happening in the U.S. Thank you for your service to all of us. It's great to hear how your care throughout all of this and to know that you really do have staff and faculty in mind as you're making decisions and thinking about policy. Well, it's been my pleasure, and I appreciate the time to spend with you today and talking on this podcast, and I look forward to perhaps having future opportunities to talk with you and and share more with the university community. So thank you again, Tiffany, for your time today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to CEW's podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. To learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW+, please visit cew.umich.edu. Here at CEW+, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women and all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW+, and we are here to help you reach your potential. The University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Odawa, and Potawatomi. Thank you.